Welcome to the EcoCiv Podcast. This is Austin Roberts. At EcoCiv, we are collaborating with others from around the world who are working toward an ecological civilization. And on this podcast, we engage leading thinkers in conversations about the kinds of transformations required to create a more sustainable, peaceful, and equitable world. You can check out our website at ecociv.org for more information. And if you enjoy this podcast, you can help support the work that we are doing at EcoCiv by making a donation at our website. For today's episode, EcoCiv's president, Philip Clayton, talks with Mary Evelyn Tucker, one of the world's leading scholars in the field of religion and ecology. She has published hundreds of articles and many books, including Ecology and Religion, co-authored with John Grimm, and Journey of the Universe, which she co-authored with Brian Swim. She's also the co-founder and co-director of the Forum on Religion and Ecology at Yale University, which explores religious worldviews, texts, and ethics in order to broaden understanding of the complex nature of environmental concerns today. Philip and Mary Evelyn have a fascinating conversation about the ideas of ecological civilization, integral ecology, and the Ecozoic era. They also talk about religious environmentalism, the Anthropocene, the work of Thomas Berry, religious cosmologies, fusing the sciences and humanities, and the need to cultivate resilience in a time of ecological crisis. And now, here's Philip and Mary Evelyn. On the EcoCiv podcast, we have with us Mary Evelyn Tucker. Uh, her work, I'll have her describe in a few minutes. Uh, she's one of the most, or together with John Grimm, probably the best known person working at the overlap between religion and ecology. But as you'll hear in the podcast, her interests are much broader and build on a lifetime of involvement in multiple activist areas and multiple areas of scholarship. Marilyn, thanks very much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you, Phil. I'm just delighted and love the work you're doing with John Cobb and many others. It's very important to all of us. Thanks. Let me start with a, with a broad question. People are aware of a number of different organizations using a number of different terms. And I wonder if, if you could talk about how these are similar or different, basically how you um, stand uh, with regard to the entire group of organizations, the entire need that we're addressing. Um, so the terms include not only ecological civilization, but terms like integral ecology, about an ecological age or an ecozoic age, um, a wide variety of descriptions. How do you put the whole field together? <laughs> That's a great question. I think what's exciting is something is emerging. We all have a sense of that, although we might not be able to describe it fully. But one way to look at it is, as Thomas Berry said, we're at the end of the Cenozoic era, a 65 million year uh, geological period of um, evolutionary history. People, of course, are putting that into the smaller slice of the from the Holocene to the Anthropocene when humans are such critical forces on the planet and that evolution is being driven now by humans and cultural evolution more than biological evolution. So that's the, the broad framework, I would say, that 
we sense something is happening. It's being marked certainly by scientists in this new geological age. It's being marked by a sixth extinction period at the Natural History Museum in New York. It's on the floor there in a plaque and it says, we are in this extinction period, yet we have the possibility of stemming the tide of destruction. So within that context, I think there's several terms and many groups that are trying to get a hold of this from different angles. How do we stem the tide of destruction? How do we uh, heal our ravaged planet? How do we put together human-Earth relations for a larger flourishing locally and globally. So I think that's a bit of the context that we all share, and um, that's very reassuring that we share the sense of urgency and uh, yet creative ideas and actions that, um, that can help um, maybe not fully stem, but re, uh, redirect uh, some of our destruction. So I would say, Ecological civilization, in my um, sense, of course, is beginning to have many, many uh, meanings, but I take it first as something that was generated um, in East Asia and the Chinese context in particular, realizing that uh, with over a billion people, their ecosystems are being unraveled, their cities are clearly massively polluted, and so industrialization and modernization has had an immense cost. So you get from a government level and even from a local level, you get an ac academic participation in this discussion to say, we have to rethink um, growth at any cost and say, we are going to have massive unrest. And there are already you know, over 60, 70,000 demonstrations a year around environmental issues. So they're trying to redirect um, industrialization into a more beneficial uh, path. Now that is huge, and we could talk the rest of the time about that. Um, and we can mention the Belt and Road Initiative that's uh, really <laughs> creating a lot of disruption in other parts of the world, and including Central Asia, but Southeast Asia and Africa and so on. So there's, this is a very mixed <laughs> bag as far as what's happening in China and, and so on. But what I do love is that many um, in North America and Europe are picking up the term, whether we're calling an eco-civ or whatever, we're trying to say, yes, uh, civilization is a large word and we don't want to be too pretentious about it, but we need to rethink ecological culture. And that's also how the Chinese are translating this term. In other words, we have science, we have policy, we have law, we have economics, we have technology. We have so many things in place to make this great transition, as, as Paul Raskin and others are saying, or the great turning, as Joanna Macy would say. But what we still need is a mindset, a culture, values, ethics, spiritual sensibilities and depth. And that's in part why we have um, moved into that religion and ecology area, which I'll speak about a little bit later. But just to finish the term, so ECOSIV has a variety of, uh, of wonderful interpretations now. I think this is very healthy, including what you all are doing at Claremont, which I admire. So, and then I would say there's integral ecology. Now that's a term that Thomas Berry, our teacher, a cultural historian, actually used way back in the 80s. And he was trying to get at this notion 
that ecology is not just about the environment, but it's integrated deeply with humans, with lifeways, with uh, livelihoods, with lifestyles, and that human-earth relations are absolutely critical to this great transition. Now, we have schools of the environment, like ours at Yale, which have largely concentrated on just in the environment, and schools of divinity concentrating on social justice. But with this term, integral ecology, we have this coming together of people and the planet. And as we all know, um, the Pope's encyclical Laudato Si has done an astounding job of highlighting that term, that idea, and bringing this together in a way that's accessible for so many people around the planet. So integral ecology is a very central and important term. And then finally, um, the ecological age is something that again, Barry developed by saying, we're moving from the Cenozoic period to, he would use the term ecozoic, meaning uh, mutually enhancing human earth relations, but also he used the term an ecological age. Now, some people see this as a bit optimistic in a Teilhardian uh, way, but he was very practical, actually. And he identified and was close friends with all kinds of people working in eco-cities, uh, ecological economics, uh, farming and food, organic agriculture. And many of these are in the Journey of the Universe conversations to say this newly emerging phase in human uh, history and in earth history has got to have very grounded projects uh, that make this great transition. And there are so many of these kinds of projects, uh, just outstanding work uh, ranging from energy and solar um, to uh, the growth of CSAs, community supported agriculture and so on. So that's a very um, broad sweep of some of these terms. And I hope that uh, we will all be complementary in, in working forward, um, on these issues. It's fantastic. That's a, actually a brilliant overview of the entire field, and I think orienting for a lot of our listeners, so thanks. Um, let's turn to you and your own work so that people can get a sense of where you've been pouring your time and energy uh, over these last years. I'd like to start with a question of why did you initially co-found the Forum on Religion and Ecology at Yale University. And after that, I'd like to ask you later about how the mission and vision have evolved over time. But let's just go back to your decision with John Grimm to originally co-found the Forum. So thanks, Phil. Uh, well, we were studying history of religions in graduate school. We met at Fordham, where Thomas Berry was. I went on to Columbia. and kind of concentrated on the Asian religions, John, on the indigenous traditions. But it was very clear um, to me, living in, in Japan in the early 70s and again in the 80s, that as the, the Asian world began to modernize, we were going to find some very serious limits to growth and massive environmental problems. So, which is certainly the case right now, because two-thirds of the world's people live in Asia and want the fruits of modernity. So we said, we're not scientists or policy people or lawyers. What can we contribute to this emerging environmental crisis? And we began um, fairly modestly and timidly, actually, at Harvard with 
saying, let's try two conferences on Buddhism and Confucianism. These are traditions which have a sense of interconnection, interdependence, and so on, uh, that would be a basis for an environmental ethics in uh, Asian countries. So, and then we had a funder who said, well, you have to do this for all of the world's religions. And, uh, and so we did. In three years, we did conferences with the help of many, many people on the world's religions and ecology, their values of nature, including, of course, indigenous traditions. We then made these uh, into a series of books with lots of editorial help and tremendous generosity from scholars and environmentalists and activists and so on. So then we said, well, we need to continue this um, to help create a field in academia of religion and ecology and help uh, birth midwife a force in the larger society of grassroots religious environmentalism, saying that that has immense power, a billion Muslims, a billion Hindus, a billion Confucians, and the same, not quite the same numbers with Buddhism, but huge numbers of people uh, for whom their religious uh, beliefs and practices are very central to their lives. <clears throat> so the founding of the Forum on Religion and Ecology, now based at Yale, is literally 20 years old, 1998. It's when we founded it at our final conferences at the United Nations in New York and the American Museum of Natural History. It's based at Yale because Gus Speth, a really outstanding environmentalist who founded Natural Resources Defense Council, the legal arm of the environmental movement and World Resources Institute, said after 40 years of working on these environmental issues, we need this moral force. Uh, we need the ethics. Uh, we need the religion. So he brought us to Yale for those reasons. So maybe I can just pause there and... Um, and I can go to your next question. Yeah, that's perfect. Actually, I didn't even know all of the background for the founding of the forum. Uh, the Harvard books, Harvard University Press books, are still widely available. And many of us teach from them as we're trying to understand the role of ecology in Islam uh, or in Jainism. So it's, it's really an amazing set of resources. Um, uh, let's talk about how your work evolved, your mission and vision evolved. There are some certain high points that I think people are familiar with globally, a film, a MOOC. And I'd love to hear the way in which, as your work evolved, the sense of what you want to achieve changed as well. Yeah, that's a great question too. Um, so just to back up, I, as I was saying, we wanted to create a field in academia that would be a complement to environmental studies programs uh, across North America and in other parts of the world. And that is certainly beginning to be the case now. There are many jobs in religion and ecology and academia. Uh, at, at Yale, we have a joint program between the School of the Environment and Divinity School in this field. We, at the Divinity School, the first master's in religion and ecology of its kind. So students, the next generation really gets this. <laughs> Not all scientists do yet uh, because they're wary of religion and we understand why. So we always say there are problems and promise here. And that might be one way of responding to your question. So we've had to evolve by um, saying, you know, this isn't the answer. We need um, to be in dialogue with all these other fields working on the environment. And we're late as people from religious communities, or religious scholars. So 
religion and ecology is necessary but not sufficient without science and economics and policy and technologies. Um, but the values piece is becoming more and more clearly central. And I think one of our challenges um, is how do we intersect uh, not just the research from uh, so many scholars and so on, but um, the, the deep sense of spiritual and ethical longing for transformation that at, at the heart of this is our profound, uh, uncontestable sensibility of we are earthlings, we are earth beings, we are deeply moved by the natural world. And so beyond texts and traditions and so on, we can penetrate into how rituals have woven humans into the cycles of nature or the seasonal cycles and so on. And we need to bring that forward in new forms, like Paul Winter doing this immense solstice celebration at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine, or his Earth Mass on the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi, where all the animals come into the church. It's just outstanding. So there's a great deal and creative work to be done. You know, music. Um, there's an oratorio for Journey of the Universe now. Um, but how does music and art and so on br help bring forward this deep spiritual sensibility of our love of nature, our longing to belong to an earth community. So that is fundamental. Of course, the work that is ongoing and absolutely necessary is that of theologians and ethicists who will say, well, Genesis in the dominion sense is not sufficient for, uh, for Christian or Jewish communities. So how do we reinterpret um, Genesis? How do we expand our ethics beyond just a human-centered ethics? Uh, Dan Scheid is, has this extraordinary book on uh, cosmological ethics, uh, even. So all of that needs to be done. And I think what's actually a great relief <laughs> is both to see the field emerging in academia, but then to see this force um, unstoppable and all kinds of communities embracing it, you know, from Green Faith based in New Jersey to um, Seattle's Earth Ministry, uh, these uh, Faith in Place in Chicago, Interfaith Power and Light. These are groups on the ground working with communities, religious and more than religious, um, to say we have to stop uh, some of the pollution, the pipelines, uh, and, and so on. We've got to support those in Flint, Michigan with their tremendous, uh, really outrageous uh, conditions of water and so on. So here's the partnership of religious communities um, coming together with environmental groups that's unprecedented, actually, and still to be further defined and created. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing synthetic vision and work that the forum is involved in and in your own work with John uh, that we've seen. I, I hear the values element, which was there from the very beginning of the Harvard series, religion as a source of values and guidance, but you expand it in your answer to include the sciences as such, mm -hmm. uh, as in the Barry and Swim book, um, but also these particular areas of society that you uh, speak to, whether it's the water crisis, land management, soil. So you've got the specificity of particular problems. You've got the, the science, which helps tell the story and guide us. 
and then this the final goal of the visions of the various traditions which i think right. is a powerful synthetic combination let me focus in on your scholarly work for a moment yeah if i can um, just punctuate that for a please, second yeah, can I? Yeah. yeah so i just wanted to direct people listening to this to the forum on religion and ecology website which has that exact what you exactly what you're speaking about phil under each of the world's religions are engaged projects on the ground. People can see what is happening, which is outstanding. For example, in Israel, a huge project called Friends of the Earth Middle East, working on the protection and cleanup of the Jordan River and on and on. So there are so many fabulous projects emerging. And um, so it's, it's this notion of a worldview of these different traditions and an ethics on the ground. Uh, but the action is, of course, what we're all hoping for. And I can say more about that when we talk about Journey of the Universe. But back to your question on scholarship. Can you remind us of the URL for the forum? Yes, it's for, F-O-R-E dot Yale dot E-D-U. F-O-R-E dot Yale dot E-D-U. Thanks, that's important. Um, this is a more specific question about your own scholarship. Mm -hmm. um, how has your scholarly work in religion and ecology, and then the Journey of the Universe project, mm -hmm. how do they help cultivate a, new, a sort of a new kind of public consciousness in general? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think, again, to repeat, when we started this uh, almost 25 years ago, uh, people couldn't quite get why religion and ecology had anything to do with each other. So that, that has expanded and developed. And I think the book that John and I did called Ecology and Religion that Island Press published um, in a series on the environment illustrates what we would call there's, cosmo, there's religious ecology and religious cosmology. In other words, all traditions have a sense of they're great stories. Where have we come from? Why are we here? And those um, lend themselves to how we live our life, how we have values and ethics. So, in a, and the religious ecologies are part of this weaving into the processes of nature, which are um, so evident uh, around the world in, in rituals and practices, even daily practices in India of people doing uh, prayers in the morning and incense and Buddhist uh, communities lighting incense for their ancestors every morning and uh, being very seasonally um, in their prayers and rituals. So that's, that's one aspect of kind of this evolution. Um, but the other one, I want to move towards journey of the universe to say, we're very conscious and you're, I think we're all conscious that we need ways of talking about a spiritual vision and ethical sensibility beyond the world's religions because younger generations are not necessarily as closely connected to them as our generations have been. So Journey of the Universe, um, of course, came out of a 40-year process of Thomas Berry saying, we need a new story. That was 1978. And um, so that sensibility um, is something that brings together, as you've just said, science with the humanities, science, with history, with religion, with philosophy, art, and music, to say we need this new fusion. We can't have two different silos. Um, and this is this the silos of 
all the truth lies in, in religion and, and this way of knowing, um, and humanities are insignificant. This has actually created, I think, a very deep schizophrenia in the next generation um, and the sense of loss. Where, where do they belong? Um, so against great odds in over 10 years, Brian Swim and myself and John Grimm did this film, Journey of the Universe, which we were extremely fortunate to get on PBS for three years. Uh, so literally millions of people watched it that way won an Emmy in Northern California and so on. And then the book sold maybe 26,000 copies from Yale Press and translated into seven languages. And we have these conversations also where I interview scientists so that they can help us deepen our understanding of these astounding processes of evolution and ecology. So there's 10 of those and then there's 10 of environmentalists who are saying, well, how does this story give us the energy and inspiration of, to do the work on the ground uh, of, of change? And that's the practical things we've been talking about. And finally, um, through Yale and Coursera, we have uh, three courses on Journey of the Universe with the film and the book, one course, and the conversations, a second course, and one on Thomas Berry, uh, who inspired this. <clears throat> and those are just six weeks. They're free for people to watch by the audit. And about 23,000 people are watching those right now or engaged in those. So we're trying to move well beyond an academic audience um, to, I'll just conclude this section by saying, um, to find these sources of renewal and resilience for the work ahead, because so many people are feeling uh, discouraged and disempowered and so on. So here's an example that we're kind of excited about. The Sierra Club um, with 3.5 million members is finding their members are in dismay, despair, disempowerment uh, for the work that they're trying to do on the ground of watershed uh, cleanup and uh, pollution issues and climate change and so on. So they sent out over Christmas uh, the Journey of the Universe book to all their leadership, major leadership and all their board members. Um, and we're gonna work with them this coming year uh, to make the film available and to, for them to do retreats based on this cosmological perspective and so on and do something in the Sierra Club magazine. So why? Again, because their project coordinator, 20 years in the job, is, is feeling this need to infuse fresh energy and a spiritual and ethical energy. So we're calling this um, cultivating resilience, uh, which we all need to do. And that's part of the gift, I think, Teilhard de Chardin is, of course, behind this perspective of Journey of the Universe. And his perspective was, how do we cultivate a zest for life? And he saw this in the destruction in Europe, he lived through, uh, he was a stretcher bearer in World War I and so on, and lived through the Second World War as well. So the zest for life is, I think, what we're all um, trying to birth in our world. Beautiful. Before we come to the last two questions, can you tell the listeners how they can get to these conversations with scientists and environmentalists and how they could sign up for the MOOC? One of the yes, things. thank you. Um, so we have a newly launched uh, Journey of the Universe newsletter, 
And um, so you can sign up that way. If, if you, so also the film is available on Amazon Prime, on uh, iTunes, I believe, on the Curiosity Stream. So there's a number of ways it can be streamed. Um, the conversations, the, uh, if you look on our website, journeyoftheuniverse.org, you'll be able to find access to this. Um, and we have a new project manager, Devin O'Day. So if you write to Devin O'Day, O-D-E-A, at journeyoftheuniverse.org, he can uh, put you in touch with how to sign up. He'll put you on the newsletter and he'll direct you to how to get some of these materials. And you can also just Google Journey of the Universe Coursera, which is the online uh, courses. But Devin O'Day at journeyoftheuniverse.org could help you with a lot of these things. Thanks. That's, it's really important that people have a way to follow up. Two closing questions, which are immensely broad, mm-hmm. and yet we want you to have a chance to, to close with your, your broader vision. When listening to you gives me a sense that there are people addressing these questions, and in that way, a sense of hope and empowerment. Resilience is a great word to, put, to use to describe it. So, number one, what kinds of social transformations and really the transformations of society, so let's say societal transformations, are needed for a sustainable future? Well, excellent question. I think we're all looking for that. Um, So societal transformations are, among many things, a sense that we need a new story, that our life is not fulfilled by materialism and consumerism, um, that we need especially to address the great inequities, economic, uh, racial, and otherwise, that are dividing our country, but also different parts of the world. So we need a story uh, about the universe and the earth, but we need a story about humans that focuses on on justice, inclusivity, respect, diversity, uh, and so on. And I think we need, most of all, to find ways that people can make a difference. This is what Thomas Berry called the great work. I think we all yearn to contribute one way or the other. Someone's family and your children, you're contributing to future generations. Um, But there's other ways to nurture life. We don't have children. Our students are our children. And I think we have to open up these spaces where people can contribute. And I would suggest that the generation post-60 that's retiring, that has time, some of them have resources, financial and otherwise, can find ways to create new conservation cores uh, of reforestation, afforestation, of cleaning up rivers and so on, of addressing climate change, and give it, having that sense of participating in something that's enhancing the life of the planet, but also future generations. That's beautiful. In closing, do you think, how great do you think this transition is going to be, this transformation? Can we, how much can we tweak our existing global economic system or existing structures? Uh, Will we evolve them? Do we need to sort of build from the ground up? This is the mm-hmm. question that uh, ecological civilization, Ecosiv, keeps working on. And I don't think I've ever asked you directly what, how you see that one. Mm-hmm. Well, what a superb question <laughs> to conclude on. Um, and I wish, I, I wish we all had that answer. But I think 
You know, we're groping with a sense of uncertainty, um, but if we ground ourselves in these evolutionary processes, and as Thomas Berry said, trust that what has come forth in bringing forth life, if we are aligning ourselves with uh, like biomimicry, um, with solar energy, with water energy, with geothermal energy, this is the alignment of tremendously creative processes that are right here before us as we begin to understand um, their dynamics. So the overshoot is because we thought we were in charge, but actually the earth is in charge. And so bringing together humility and creativity is going to be absolutely essential. And I can't begin to say capitalism is, is, uh, well, let, let me say capitalism will have to be either reconstructed, and it is already because it's failing us massively and creating tremendous inequities and 2008 unraveling around the world uh, financial systems and therefore political systems and giving birth to a populism of disaffected people. So our economic systems are not serving the whole. They are serving the few. Um, and we know that. So we have got to massively um, redesign them, which is happening, or um, build forward with new and creative ideas, which I think the New Green Deal um, has at its heart. And certainly others have said this before. Van Jones with uh, Green Jobs had these ideas um, and so on. So I think we are poised to both reconstruct our financial and political systems um, and be very creative in fresh and new ideas. And Thomas Berry said, all these institutions, education, politics, economic, and religions would be unraveling as we see this end of an era. Uh, we're living through a very, very difficult moment, but the reconstruction, sometimes revitalization of these institutions will be very critical going forward. Mm -hmm. Mary Evelyn Tucker, thank you for taking the time to be on the Ecosiv podcast. That was an amazing uh, presentation of the big picture, as clear as I've ever heard somebody give it. We appreciate your time. We appreciate the work that you and John Grimm are doing at the Yale Forum for Religion and Ecology and wish you many more successes in the years to come. Thank you, Phil, and the same to you. Look forward to continuing to collaborate with you. Thanks very much.